And welcome back to Noise Extra. This is Mike. I'm with Tara. Hello. And unfortunately, Gray is out with an injury and sickness today. So we are holding it down, much like the episode with Jim and Jim Harris. Tara and I are sharing a microphone. So yeah, this is, this is, you know, super comfortable. It's great. So Exactly. <laughs> but we are comfortable. We are excited because today, in right in front of us, not through a screen, we have... Ron Morelli. Ron, hello. Hello. Nice to be here. We are very excited to talk to you. You just had a great new record come out, Heartstopper. We are pumped for it. It is available now, yes? Yes, it is. In mm. stores now. In stores now. It's fantastic. You've heard us talk about it in recent listening. We love it. We've heard it at least, I would say, five to ten times. Uh, five yeah. to ten times, maybe? Absolutely. It's, wow. it's a right. great record, but also many Noise Extra listeners will know how much we have loved Ron's tapes on Hospital as well as his album Man Walks the Earth from a few years ago. So we are excited to talk to you about your history with electronics and techno. So Ron, thanks for joining us. This is going to be great. All right. So let's start from back in those distant days where did you start your path into techno, into underground music? How did that all start for you? Well, I would say, for, I mean, first and foremost, with the underground music stuff, I grew up in Long Island. So, you know, that's a suburb, a gigantic, so sprawling suburb of New York City. And um, I just was going to like punk and hardcore shows at a lot of different, um, a lot of different venues in Long Island, Sunday matinees, um, and uh, community centers, VF, all ages, VFW Hall, yeah. YMCA, people's basements. And what what year? Thing. What years is this when you started going to these shows? So yeah, I would say roughly that's ninety two, ninety three. And then 94, around that time. And then even a little bit in 95, but I had moved out of Long Island to go to university in upstate New York. I moved out, uh, I think, what was it? Summer, summer, August of 94. And then I lived in upstate New York in New Paltz, which is roughly two hours from, from where I grew up in Long Island. And you were going to see at this time hardcore shows, punk shows. This right. this was the type of shows you were going to around that time. Right. Yeah. A lot of like, you know, NYHC tough stuff. Then like kind of also like the weirder like stuff, like uh like Raw Shack and uh those types of bands, uh like those Jersey bands and stuff like that. And screamy stuff and then like uh this band half man which is from long island scapegrace from long island but then also we'd go see sick of it all and agnostic front right, right. and uh you know mad ball and also yeah all, all that kind of stuff there was also a big like kind of like crossover hardcore metal venue in huntington new york roxy music hall where we would go to stuff there and everything like that so yeah, and then of course going into Manhattan because it's very close. So go to shows in Manhattan all the time. And and, uh, and so when did so you were you were seeing hardcore punk shows and some of on the fringes of that world. When did electronics cross your path and when did you start getting into that stuff? Well, that's like pretty crazy because it's it's way later. It's it, it seems way later. I guess it wasn't so much later, but it in, in the scope of like the people I was around, it was way later. Cause once I started going to uh, university, a lot of my friends were like ravers. They were like getting into the drugs and the, and the rave stuff. I thought that was just lame. I wasn't like straight edge or anything like that, but I was just like, this isn't for me. Right. Right. These, these big pants and the, and, and the, 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 the funny stuff or whatever. That's what I thought it all was. Obviously I didn't really know. But like, yeah, friends are like, oh, I've been up for two days straight and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that, you know? But, um, so they were all, a lot of my friends were in, involved in that, you know, more club, club style electronic music. 
um, of the of the time, which was huge. I mean, because there was all the nightclubs in New York City that there were things going on. Limelight, of course, being the one everyone knows about and the one that's kind of the most uh, known in uh, mainstream right. culture. Infamous. There, right. There was all the, the murder and the movies yeah. and Macaulay Culkin and the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So there was that. Um, and they were that in New York City amongst many, many other things. Um, but then there's also like a rave scene in all throughout upstate New York and Boston and this and that in skate parks, warehouses, fields, whatever. So that all that kind of stuff was happening. Friend, I had friends going to that stuff. But yeah, I I just I wasn't into it. You didn't really go to that, any of that stuff. Did you ever go to say a Michael Alec party at Limelight, or that w- wasn't interesting to you at the time? I never did. I just didn't do it. Yeah, I was I was I was more because there 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 was a, like certain people at the time, you know, underground culture to that to certain people was just like. It didn't matter where it was, whether you're going to a punk hardcore show or a rave or Brooklyn Banks skate parks or whatever like that. It was like kind of all or like, you know, going to the Roseland to see Fugazi or something. It was kind of some people saw is all one and the same. I didn't. I was just like pretty rigid. I was like into what I was into and I didn't really want to hear about anything else, you know. So I just stuck to stuck to what I was into at the at that time. Um and then fast forward, I would say, to uh, 1999, 98, around this time. I'd been playing in like bands and stuff, and that ended. And I was leaving university, moving uh, down to Brooklyn. And I'd taken a trip to San Francisco to visit a friend. And I was just like record shopping. I think I went to like Amoeba or something like that. And they had like a bunch of cassettes. And I saw these cassettes. I said, oh, what is this? And it was like this scratch DJ from the Bay Area called DJ Eddie Def. And I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. I picked up the tape and it said it, it, said it was like an electro mix. I said, oh, okay, let me, let me check this out. And then I got this mix. And I was like, oh. I recognize some of the songs. I'm like, whoa, I haven't heard this since I was like eight, nine years old. The songs now that I was hearing on this mix, because it was like this kind of, he's a scratch DJ, but it's like playing like this old school 80s electro stuff. Now I had, I wouldn't say I was into old school 80s electro, but growing up, of course, I was into all the breakdancing stuff and the early hip hop stuff. And there was the famous K-Tel breakdance compilation with the poster that shows you how to break dance right amazing yeah and on that was like Craftwork, twilight 22 egyptian lover so all this early 80s electro and then i heard it on this tape i'm like oh this is crazy i don't i i can't i can't believe this you know so that kind of spawned my interest to look a little bit further um at the same time when I moved down to Brooklyn, I met a good friend, Marcus Cabral. So this is like 99, 98. And Marcus had kind of just started putting me on to like all this crazy like electro. He's the one who put me onto the stuff from The Hague, from Bunker, Vulex, Murder Capital, all that stuff. Um, and, I, and then he started working at Adam X's record shop on Carmine Street, Sonic Groove. So then I had it in there, so I could just go in there and like, they would just, you know, they wouldn't hook me up, but they would just put me on to really great stuff. Drexia, all that stuff. This, you know, this is, I'm late in the game now, you know, cause that stuff was coming out in the early nineties. And you're just finding it. I'm just finding it around 99, 98, 2000, 2001. And I'm just like, okay, this is like not the music that I thought it was. And also, you know, I was exposed to dance music and the fact of hearing it on the radio as well, like especially Latin freestyle stuff, which we would call Guido music. Right, right. right. So like Latin freestyle, you know, I remember hearing Little Louis French Kiss on the radio also because it has like this X-rated breakdown with the girl moaning and everything. You couldn't forget that. So like I had exposure to it, but I didn't really know the culture behind it 
or really, you know, I never dug further into it and knew that there's a whole scene and everything like that and how far it went and the roots and everything. So like, this is like so much later now. So I just like jumped into it. And like, I basically forfeited around this time, like any guitar music, anything like any of that stuff. I was like not interested in it anymore. Like very loosely. Very it, it pretty much just changed your path completely. What had you been playing when you were in bands? Just like singing in a like shitty band, yeah. <laughs> just like that, <laughs> screaming, not singing. Yeah, <laughs> whatever but, it was. Yeah, and, but even in in the late nineties, and you were friends with and familiar with people like Black Dice, yeah. and that, that that was, I mean. For when a few years ago, God, it's probably actually way more than a few oh, at this Lord. point, but myself and Tara and Ron and Eric from Black Dice were all in Italy together. Right. And I didn't know your guys' history. But the main thing I remember about that is that my stomach hurt from laughing so hard, which is always my only gauge as to how rad someone is and how much fun I had is to how much I laughed. I don't care about <laughs> anything else. But when did you meet those guys? You said you 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 were you you knew Lightning Bolt. So back in the end of the nineties, you were in that sort of weird. The I don't even know what the word for any of that is, but just that weird scene of when things were everything was sort of mixing together in this strange post punk, post hardcore. You know, noise is coming in. So how did you get involved in the, with that with those people before getting into electronics? Right. Well. Well, like, you know, I was playing this band, we toured and stuff like that. And, you, you know, we would play sometimes with bands like Locust or uh, I don't even know, like some of the power violence bands. I think we play with Spaz probably. Uh, but that world of that GSL load yeah. records and, and, and the power violence stuff, right. man is the bastard. Right, because it was all like Bay Area stuff too, because Sonny had the distribution in, in uh Berkeley or wherever it was. And then there was a San Diego stuff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, so that's kind of, I think before I even knew the black dice guys, I probably saw the record on either. Was there a gravity one or vermin scum one? I can't remember, but I just had, had uh, heard it. And then when they were in Providence, but then they had moved to, Brooklyn at the same time I moved to Brooklyn. Gotcha. And then my friend Danny Perez and Eric were really tight. And that's how I met Eric. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and then like, that was it. We was just like, and then Eric was like my bartender for years. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Important that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but you were saying that man is the bastard was someone you were familiar with. And then hence getting familiar with bastard noise. So was that right. some of the, 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 Closest to just straight noise stuff that you were starting to get familiar with back at the end of the 90s? Yeah, like I wouldn't know anything of like White House or A-Tracks right. more. Even though White House, you know, was produced by Albini or whatever like that. It just didn't hit, you know, I knew Zenny Giva somehow, but right. no, not White House. So I don't know, like it just didn't, you know, it just, it didn't uh, make it my way. And I wasn't hanging around with people who were really into, into it right, either. Right. So, and it's even like, we loved Man is the Bastard, and it was like, Bastard Noise, it was like, it's all right. You know, that's like, just, you know, we were into the crossed out, infest, you know, all that, all that stuff. Um, but then the, the noise part of it, we were like, what is this, you know? Um, but we, of course we knew Merzbell because it was just like- Every, Yeah, yeah. Who, it was yeah. just like the name, yeah, you know, it was yeah. everywhere. You, yeah. you, you'd see it wherever, everywhere and anywhere, you saw the name. I didn't necessarily know- exactly what it was, but it was like, oh yeah, Merzbo, that's the fucked up Japanese stuff or right, whatever, right. whatever it was. Um, but yeah. And then I guess oddly enough, when I would go to these shows at this place, the PWAC in Long Island, which is a very, very important place, you know, thankfully to this fellow Artie Philly, who's like him and like a crew of these other people, but I, I looked to him more specifically. They, you know, kind of brought the weirder stuff to Long Island. Uh, they had a big part of it. It was called People with AIDS Coalition. It was some nonprofit community center. Who even really knows what the hell it was? Right. <laughs> Probably a scam. But anyway, <laughs> we don't know. But it was it was a killer place that went on for, I guess, 
I don't, I couldn't even say five years, eight years sets. For, I, it's a blur, but he brought like really cool stuff there. Like there was a bigger room and a smaller room. And then like sometimes on the, the smaller room shows, there'd be like drop dead playing. And then like that band suppression from, yeah. from Virginia and Eucharist from Virginia. And then like this band CR good friends from Staten Island and like things like that. And then, also, the band Half Man was also very important because they were like pretty fucked up band that was like really sick. And they also, it was cool. They, the guy John Menken had like a distribution, so like he always had to manage the bastard stuff, the weirder stuff. You'd go, um, um, and like yeah, you would just get stuff that you might not even wanted, you know. Right, but it's just all this weird stuff. So you you were just hungry for anything. Yeah, new. it was like yeah, bizarre uproar. Man is the bastard split or Aunt Mary or Aunt Mary, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. This stuff is like I didn't know what the fuck it was. Yeah, but you're like this is new. This I'm hungry, and, and so this is in the '90s that this yeah yeah this yeah. place existed. For, yeah, in the '90s. So like, but yeah, already brought all these bands, and then like it ends up yeah, like I guess suppression. That guy Jason also had this label, Chaotic Noise Production, and then looking back, I guess he had a lot. Was it something vomit, black vomit, bat, black puke? He's like on RRR or something like that. And yeah, yeah, and Chaotic Noise is definitely a legendary label. So it's yeah. so cool that you were crossing paths, and but I didn't even know it at, right the time. at the time. I was just like, okay, this is like weird shit. And so the bands, you're 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 done doing band stuff. You're getting deep into electronics. You're getting deep into the stuff you're that you're getting turned on at, at Sonic Groove through through different friends. This is the early 2000s now, roughly. Yeah. What is your path to start actually creating stuff? Because it, it, I, I'm, I'm sort of unclear as to what you were doing in those, that the aughts, I guess, is the word right. we use for the, the zero zeros. So the band stuff was like basically, you know, done. But I was like bored. You know, I'm hanging out with Marcus and also my friend uh, Pete, and they were they were DJs. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, let me let me like keep myself busy doing this. So I started collecting, you know, dance twelves and stuff like that, and just like DJing at my house because I still wanted to be creative with the music. I didn't want to deal with a band situation, having to meet up. Pay for the rehearsal space. Do this. Do that. I don't like. Dude, I got work. I'm sick. No, no, no. I didn't want to do it, so I just started like casually DJing at my apartment and like just going, starting to go heavy, heavy into getting records. And I was very lucky because where I lived in Brooklyn, I lived a block away from this place called The Thing, which is a famous junk shop. But it also has like, I don't know, 500,000 records or some crazy thing in the basement. But it, they, weren't, they weren't shit records. There was like crazy stuff down there from Rare Disco, Italo Disco, House, Techno, all like all that. Because it was, it was coming from the shop I used to work at, A1. At that time, A1 was very specialized in only... Uh, rock, soul, jazz, things for hip-hop producers to sample. Anything else at that early time when the thing opened, I mean, when, when, A1, uh, when, when A1 opened and then the thing opened, they would just, if it wasn't rock, soul, jazz, hip-hop, boom, it went to the thing. Oh, really? It all went to the thing. And we were just cleaning up in there. I mean, people were getting copies of Sharivari originals, like just crazy shit. Crazy, you know, what are like $300 Italo, $400 Italo records? It was all down there. It was crazy at that time. Right. And, and did the, the thing didn't know necessarily what they had or they were just sort of... It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It didn't matter at that point. Later on, it mattered. But like the first couple of years and even afterwards, like it just, you would owe it. So like I was able to amass a lot of great records and they were a dollar each. So it was like, just go there. You're just stockpiling. Yeah. Just getting as much as you can, going to like all sorts of weird shops around New York at the time because there were so many shops. There's a place called Weekend Records run by this guy, the Japanese guy, Makoto. He works for like a, new, a Japanese newspaper. But on the weekend, he had a small record yeah. shop in his apartment. So we'd go there. We go to this guy, Miggy. Miggy had a shop 
out of his um, apartment, um, like right off of Graham Avenue on, on Humboldt Street that was, you know, open on Saturdays and Sundays. Go there. Like wherever else, everywhere, we would just go, you know, and and just get whatever we can get for as little money as possible. Yeah, the, the vibe then must have just been so, I mean, just just the excitement of those days. It, it was a weekend record shop. Now that's some Long Island shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is Brooklyn now, by the way. Sorry. You so this is when you're living in Brooklyn. This is Brooklyn. Utopia. That's Long Island. <laughs> so you you said you were DJing in your apartment. Now are you doing this for yourself? Were you living in a in a loft space with other people? Were you having just private parties? Or were you literally just doing this for yourself? Yeah, no, no parties at all. It was just like me and a roommate, and he was like a pretty good DJ. He would just show me, like, do this, don't do that. You got to do that. You got to do that. You just showed me the basics and then you just figure it out. But, um, and then, yeah. And then gradually as some years went on, okay, you start playing at this bar or that bar. Cause it was only bars basically. And then like there was a club in New York club, club bar, whatever it was lit. So we would play. Oh, at, sure. That's and and is that I want to say is that lower uh, Second Avenue and it, it was close to Dom's shop. Close actually. to where hospital Very used close, to be. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like I've I saw a show there or maybe sure. even played there at one point. Yeah, was, and at the end there was like an art gallery there too as okay. well. Um, so then like yeah, we play like lit every I don't know other Friday or some other bar swim in the Lower East Side like until they said we couldn't play there anymore. It was like, kind of just play. It didn't really matter that we were shit DJs because we were, but it was just the fact that we went out and did it and like, you know, just started doing, doing that. Um, and then, yeah, as time goes on, you get a bit more, you get better, you get more serious about it and, you know, serious, serious as you can be. It was ne I was never like a lot of DJs. I was never a working DJ. So you 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 weren't you were doing this it's a hobby. Okay, at, 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 in this time, this is in the in the yeah. in the early two thousand. Never back then. I always had a job, like whatever, tons of jobs, different jobs. But I, yeah, I never. That was never my profession. And what do you do? You recall about when you at least felt that you're like, oh, I'm at this. You you know, you're saying you're shit DJ. But there has had to have been a point where you felt like, oh, I'm actually started getting the hang of this. Do you recall that at all? Yeah, I think it's, it's I, I mean, maybe around 2006, seven. I was like, okay. I'm starting to understand this yeah, little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, still you learn, learning all the time, of course. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Around then it was like, you still suck, but you're better than you were. <laughs> right, right, right. But we're still at this time pretty, it's still a little bit before Lies is going to get started. Yeah. So how, what was that path and how long did that take for you to finally be like, I'm going to start a label? Well, I had, I had been working um, some job and, for a couple years and I had enough of it and I was offered a job at A1 Records, but I couldn't work there full time because it just could like, because whatever, they had something going on there that, that they were like, you could work weekends. So I'd work for about six months, seven days a week. I'd go do my, you know, nine to five thing, Monday through Friday. And then Saturday, Sunday, I'd work at A1. Um, and then finally, um, I got the other job to lay me off so I could collect unemployment because I had been there for a while. So I had, then I was working full time at A1 and then I would try to, I was trying to work as many days as possible. So I had like unemployment money coming in and like six days at A1. So there was like for the first time in my life, I actually had real income. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Like not real income, but money like to burn, if you will. Right, right, money right. Money to burn tons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're talking hundreds of dollars. <laughs> so I bought a big screen TV. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> no, so so but I I had been 
I'd been living with my friend Will Burnett, who ended up being on the label. Will had started a label, and I was like, shit, man, I would love to start to press records again. Because I pressed records back in the day, too, of my band. I also did like... I also did some like underground hip hop thing in 99, which is a whole nother story. Not so important to get into, but I kind of knew, I kind of knew the process about pressing records. Um, I was like, man, I could do this again. I'm like, but if I do it, I'm going to do it the right way. The one thing I did learn from like the underground hip hop thing, was like, we had like a record that me and a friend pressed up that like did okay. But then, you know, it was like the payment terms weren't good. So it took forever to get paid. And it's like, no, if you have records coming out, you want to keep the momentum going, right? It's like, you got to get better terms, blah, blah. So when I started the label and I made my prop, the proposition to the distributor, I was like, listen, here's how I want to do it. If you agree to it. So, you know, so I'd always have the money. We're just going to keep it going. Yeah. And I ended up succeeding in that surprisingly enough. Like I was able to just boom, 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 knock it out because my distributor rush hour went with me and like did it. So that is one thing I did learn from pressing those other records, like get, you know, figure out how you can keep the cash flow coming to get the next one out to make and to build the momentum that it's not a six month wait between records and everyone forgets about what you're doing. Um, so, so what was the, what year was the first records? 2010, but I got probably the idea 2009. I was like, okay, let me think about this, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then, everything just came together because I was around all these other music people, producers, mostly not DJs, like people making crazy music, guitar, drum machine music, some weird house stuff, some basement, like techno thing on a four track. And it was just like there because it was also from years of hanging out in this like, right. You met a lot of people, met these people. Exactly. So then it just kind of was like, okay, let's just do this. And like you're saying, keeping the momentum going, especially with something like techno and 12 inches, there, there is some sort of the nature of the newness and, and, mm-hmm. and how important was that in your mind where you're getting these out? Yes, there's going to be people like who are going to listen to this at home and they get the records and listen to them. But a lot of the people who are getting these are DJs and they want the new one thing. And then they want the new thing. So how cognizant of that were you going into this? Yeah. The, the, that's a really good point. Very, I was very much aware of that, especially having knowledge about um, the hip hop scene as well, because like hip hop DJs, right. There's a new hot club, 12 inch coming out every week that like, boom, if you want to blow the club up, boom, you got to play this one. You have to play these three records in a row, so on and so forth. To me, that was always a thing. And I think in the 90s, of course, more so with dance music because it was just like the club, the club everything was bigger. There was a real economy around it. And, you, you know, but for me, I wanted to treat it in the same way. Always have like a new hot record for DJs to play. Even though at that time, of course, the actual physical vinyl stuff was, there was a resurgence, but it also it is the decline of that. It's, yeah, it's all starting, yeah, right? right. Yeah. 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 I mean, there was a resurgence in vinyl, like, you know, dance music vinyl, but that, like, you know, when the CDJs got completely, like, just, like, fine-tuned and, like, we're everywhere, that was it, you know? Now, it was, so, so, so it was, like, you know, now people just put stuff on Bandcamp and that's the hot new 12 inch. It's like right. just, just something to download on Bandcamp. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's the world we live in, whatever. But yeah, so I was definitely aware of that when I was doing the label at their early stages. And, and were you doing your own design? Because right off the bat, you have such a classic look. The logo was the idea was from me and then I had a friend execute the idea, right. you know, and I even like stole that, which is like a whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but lies absolutely has an immediate look to it and, and still to this and day. And especially the, the, the design on the 12 inch. Labels. Yeah. The 12 inch, the original label logo is like pretty, pretty, I like it quite a lot. Yeah. And it's, it, it, I mean, most importantly, it's very identifiable. 
But when you get the LPs, there's not a uniform look to all the right. LPs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. It it's, does look like something you would come across in a basement and go like, oh, this this might be special. Like, yeah, I yeah. And so early on, you know, Lies is establishing itself as something different in that scene. And like you said, it, so a lot of these early people we work with is people you knew from those years of DJing. And who were some of the really early people that you really dug working with and still work with to this day? Um, Steve Summers, Jason, he was the first release on the label uh, under this uh, alias called Malvo, which we like, it was like a filter French filter house record, which is just like, we've never done anything like that ever again, which I think is kind of the best first record to have. Right. Something totally like out there. Yeah. Nothing. There's never been another record on the label that sounded like that. And there probably never will be. So like Jason, but then Jason is Jason's like, I've always said he was the cornerstone of the label because he's, such a talented producer and he can kind of do anything and everything from like ambient to like synth wave to old school house to acid stuff. Like he just can do, do it all. And, and then, so like Jason and I still work with him to this day. We actually just recorded when I was in Chicago together. Um, Jason Delroy Edwards, who lives out here. Um, we we still work a lot together. Uh, Bo Wanzer, Trax, uh, Lego Welt. Those are all early guys on the on the label that we're still still doing stuff with. Yeah, and the, yeah, still to this day. And your but your own records take a bit of a different path because. At first, it, 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 I mean, maybe I'm getting some of the chronology wrong, but your a lot of your first records are on hospital. Tell us how you linked up with Mr. Fernow and how you started working with hospital. I met Dom directly from Steve Lowenthal, our friend Steve. Steve oh, yeah. Steve was the one who connected us. He's like, Got to meet my guy, Dom. You guys got to meet. So Dude, that's literally Steve. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what Steve would say. Got to meet my guy, Dom. Yep, yep. I say, okay. And he's like, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Purient. Okay, that's uh, the Hydra Head stuff. Like, I knew right, it. You, yeah, you, you were, you, it was peripherally, right. you knew it. Because yeah. I knew Hydra Head and all the stuff on, on, on that, you know, on the label. Maybe not as much at that time, but I... You know, I, I I would hear about it still. You know, I knew like Botch and like sure, sure, Cave In and uh, uh, some of like the hev other heavy stuff, ISIS and stuff like that. Right, yeah. ISIS. That was one of them. Right, exactly. Um, so Steve just brought us together. I think the first time we met was Dom came to A One, and it was right before he was uh moving to L A. And so I don't know what year that was, two thousand. Had to be 2000. I remember we traded records, so it had to be 2010, 11. I think I, I think 10, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, about 10. When it, yeah. But it, I'm like, okay, let's hang out. He's like, he's like, I'm, I'm leaving to LA. I'm literally, like, me, yeah, 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 that's yeah, what he said. Yeah, it was yeah. like, it's like, not happening. I'm leaving LA. Yeah. So, so yeah, but then he gave me a stack of stuff and like I gave him a bunch of stuff and you know, we stayed in touch. We had a, a famous uh, breakfast meeting. In L.A. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And then he was like, I want you to do a record for the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. I'm moving to Paris. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have time to do it. <laughs> so that, that was like 2000. It had, I mean, it was sometime in either 2000, late 2012 or early 2013. But yeah, but we met, we must've met 2010 around that. But oh, yeah, all this stuff that was happening like at, the, at that time around hospital and then like, you know, I always knew about the no fun fast stuff. I, you know, I, I always knew about that, that stuff's happening. I just wasn't on it. I was right, like, right. I was just getting like disco records, like seriously, like gay right. disco records and like, and, and like house music. I was just like, I don't want to hear about any anything else. Yeah, this is my life right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, this is it. This is all that matters. And then I was at the shop too. So then I had like all access. And right. when I'm at the shop, I'm just like, holy shit. 
it's this and that, and the collections are coming in. And then, but then it's cool because you're at the shop and then the weirdo, some weirdo stuff comes in and you're like, oh, okay. Like Lucifer, uh, Black Mass, that, you know. This, oh yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. classic. Like, yeah. like that was an A1 where it's like, ooh, wow. Yeah, this is a weird record. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then like, you know, I still had, you know, uh, passion to check that kind of stuff out, but like going and being in it and like whatever, I just, I didn't care. Yeah. And it wasn't until meeting Dominic's introducing you to a lot of this stuff. And we're at the time, were you also familiar with like the Sandwell stuff and what they were doing? Because to me, you know, for, for us being just so just fully noise for so long, when we discovered the Sandwell stuff and discovered your stuff and, and absolutely through hospital and through yeah. Don being like, you got it, dude, you guys, this stuff's great. It all started coming together lies Sandwell and, and what Dom was doing at the hospital at the time and, and starting the Vatican stuff. It all started making just this, this world was starting to connect right between all these disparate worlds. And, and it was a really exciting time. And especially when you start putting your first stuff out through hospital, all of a sudden it just connects so much different stuff. Yeah. I think, I think that was like a really special time. Like, like when all that happened, exactly what you said, and of course, then, you know, the blackest ever black stuff too, yep. like all of it. And then like Tropic of Cancer and then Juan Solo for Dominic. Yep. And then like, just like, and then Dom in LA, but then Dom not in LA and then Vatican. And then like, like, it's just like, yeah. And then like, then like, but like Carl on, on, you know, I think when, when Carl went on blackest ever black, they just like reintroduce him to like, Everything oh, he, totally, and in the context that it was in too was like the context, right? Because it's like downwards is Carl, Carl is downwards. But then I, I kind of feel like that was like the only other, like that's the most was the most appropriate way to like introduce it to other people. And then like it was fucking sick. Yeah, you know? it was it was a really big time. And then and then William Bennett doing cut right. hands. All of a sudden, it's just like. All this stuff is just Worlds is colliding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really it was in it the was, best way. It was right? a really, like, really exciting time. Like, really, uh, it really was. Yeah, and and but your records and obviously we're 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 talking to you a, a big part because your your new record Heartstopper is out now. Are actually Tara, will you grab a couple beers for the the boys and some yep. wine for you, please? Oh yeah. There we go. Hell yeah. Uh, your records were. Thank you. Uh, they were maybe not exactly what everyone is expecting from you, especially once you start getting to your uh, two records kind of and, and your tapes on hospital. Things are pretty different than maybe what was expected. What was your approach to recording records at that time? Right. And this was like, this is like very, you know, it was two, what was two things? It was, circumstantial and then it was all it was but it was also uh it was it was also intentional i think at that time there was a lot like going on around the label and i could have very easily just like went the path and made like cool house records right it could have just it could have just worked like that and i could have like taken that route and be like okay here we go you know but also like i didn't want to make a cool house record for hospital. You know, I wanted to make something for a hospital for a hospital. Yeah. I was like, yeah, let me not do what everyone wants me to do. <laughs> right. Right. So I'm like, it's going to probably fuck me in the end. Like as far as like people are going to not really like it, but this is like the real, this is what I want to do. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's basically what's going to happen. Um, the other, the other end of it is, at that time, I mean, my production skills, it's like pretty rudimentary. I'm like not a master of all my machines. What, what were you using at that time? I had a lot, I still had a lot of stuff then. I had 808, I had 303, I had Pro One, 707, Juno 60, maybe a Poly 6. I had a lot, I, I mean, tons of stuff. I just like, you know, just didn't, refine my production um at the time i just i was like here's how i'm gonna do it this is how the bunker guys did it this is how i'm gonna do it they did it a lot better but hey i tried yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know but looking back on like like spit which now is like 10 years old this year 
I like it actually. I think it's like, oh, yeah, it's a great record. I, I think, I think it's like, it makes sense. And I, I think I kind of wouldn't want it any other way. It's just like, you know, it, it was an immediate, it was made in immediate sense. I started it in New York and I finished it when I moved to Paris. I literally like had, the, I had just moved there and like the stuff was on the floor. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, this, yep. Okay. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. That's, you know, there, there, there was like, there was a time, there was like, definitely like, you got to get it done. Like you didn't even have a table yet. No, no table, yeah. no table, no, no racks, no nothing, nothing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like, for me, it just made sense to do that. And it's what I, 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 I wanted to do. Um, and, and having run lies and running your own label, then going to working, putting out your albums with another label and that label being hospital, you know, obviously Tara and I have worked with Dom forever and, and still do to this day. And working with Dom is a collaborative thing for most people. Was that like that with you? And was that something you were psyched on? Was there a back and forth with the art, with the titles, et cetera? Because, you know, that's how we, we enjoy working that way. Was that something new to you? It was something new. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, for me, I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I, think, I think it's a really helpful to have someone who wants to be involved in the quote unquote production of the record, whether it's the titles or the artwork or just, you know, yeah. Oh, this shouldn't sound like that. Try that. Don't put vocals there, whatever it is. Yeah. For me, yeah, yeah. for me, that's very helpful. Um, I don't necessarily work that way. I was just going to ask you, yeah. is that how you work with lies? Do, do you, when you ask someone to do a record, do you, do they send you the material and it's a go? Do you have back and forth or is it a different relationship with different artists? Exactly. Different with different artists. That's usually how, how I'm working. Some, some, some artists, the, the record's done, the art's done. And it's like, here you go. And then of course, you know, there could be some back and forth, but there's some stuff like that. There's some stuff where it's like, well, I'll be like, Hey, why don't you do an LP? Right, right, right. Like there's been artists. I was just like, I think it's time for you to do an LP. What do you think? And like, oh yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Come on. And like, there's a lot of artists that I did that. that definitely did that with, or, or just like, Hey, the next record, you're kind of like running in circles with how it's you're sounding. Why don't you try this? You know, because you have a relate. That's the important thing of having relationships with people that you know. You know their taste in music. You know what they listen to. You know that they called you up and be like, "Check this out. It's blah blah blah." And it sounds like this. I'll say, "Okay, why don't you try your version of that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or if that's inspiring you, why don't you do do that? And you know, to have someone to bounce, you know, this create have this creative uh, rapport with or what have you. I think it's extremely helpful in some cases for sure. Oh yeah, I think I think it's huge. Yeah. And and it's exciting when you have artists who are a, or willing to open themselves Surely. up to doing that. Yeah, and you can receive feedback from somebody you respect. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. the key. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's always the key. Yeah. And but some of your later stuff, uh, as we the the betting on death tapes, things get really ambient for you and dark, dark very darkly ambient uh, in the sort of later 2010s into the early 2020s. Where did that come from and what were you what were you taking inspiration from for some of those really just just long meditative dark ambient releases? I remember specifically this is a funny story I never told this to anyone really but uh I remember specifically playing in Bergheim in like 2015 or something like that, 16, 2015. I and like hearing some DJ playing, and I'm like, I had enough of this. I'm just like, this is like, I'm if this is what's happening, I'm not, ha I'm not going, I'm not with this shit. And then I just went home to my studio and I was like, I just started fucking around, and I'm just like, I'm just gonna like. Whatever that is, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want, I don't want to be in that. 
I don't want to, I don't want to play, you know, whatever. I mean, things pan out, go, went in all different directions, but the, the starting the production in that, of course, I've always had interest in that, 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 that style, but that was really, I was just like, let me just, you know, free myself of all of this rigid constraints that is dance music. Cause that's what I kind of saw it as. It's just like, forget it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be part of it again. What, what happened happened. But so then I started working on what would end up becoming man walks the earth. And then the weird thing about that was I had made gathering together for Dominic. Yeah. Which is like a totally weird record in itself. Yeah, like, yeah. like I, you know, but I'd made that my agent kind of like, I told my agent at the time, like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out with this other stuff. I'm, I'm doing this. And then she kind of like, she pitched like gathering together to like some festivals or this or that, which I thought was like weird to begin with. Cause like who wants that? Right. Nobody really. So, but like fast forward, maybe like a year or something. And then like Berlin Atonal called and said, yeah, we want you to play at Atonal. And then in between gathering together and that, and you know, the year or so, cause I think I played Atonal in 2016. I just been working on like stripping back what I was doing with like gathering together and this other stuff. And just like basically just having fun in the studio, yeah. experimenting, mm -hmm. just like, Okay, yeah, do this. Have the 808 trigger this, mute the 808, have the step sequencer doing that, fucking tweak this shit, whatever it is, whatever you do. And I just was like wanting to enjoy enjoy the process of making the music. We're actually just enjoying it again. Yeah, just like there's this doesn't have to be anything. It has to just be like an outlet for you. You know, it's just do do whatever the fuck you want. There's with no preconceived ideas, no goal in mind. No nothing, just do the fucking thing. Because when you make a record, a dance record, this, you are working in a true and tried form. This is how it goes. You know, even if you're making the most bugged out dance music, you're working in a certain format. You know, it's just, it, it, there's a standard for it. And, you know, you can't really say otherwise. Um, so, yeah, then when I did this atonal thing, it was like maybe kind of like two tracks from gathering together, like in there. And I, I never, I don't even think I've played live at that point. I don't like ever. You, you, you were just DJing at that point yeah. as opposed to playing right. live. And, yes. li and live at that point was simply Ableton and pedals and right. maybe some other piece of gear, but that was kind of it. And I ended up making all this other stuff, which ends, which I played, which ended up being uh, "Man Walks the Earth," and a friend of mine who ran the label Collapsing Market in Paris. He was like, "What is this crazy stuff?" Blah blah blah, and he was on me for like a while about it. And I'm like, "You really like that stuff?" I'm like, "It's whatever, man." And then we went and did something for Nico oh, in, in, at Cotalunga. Yeah, in yep. in Vittorio Veneto. Yeah, and then our friend from Collapsing Market, Sirius, he, he went to that. And I, again, played more stuff that I had been working on that ended up being like parts of Man, Man, Man Walks the Earth. But that was just like the process between, like the time frame between like when that stuff started and when it came out, it was like a four-year process. Oh, okay, actually. yeah. It was just like, because I just didn't care about it, to be honest. It was just like, yeah, that's, that's fine. He's like, come on, man, blah, blah, blah. And he it was just daunting going back and just doing the edits on it. I mean, that's really what it was. The editing and the mixing of it, because it was just like, like I said, this is just like me fucking around. So it's like, here's 20 minutes of something. And I'm just like, gotta go in, cut it up, try to mix it however the fuck you could do it. Maybe add some stuff because it's boring or whatever. So yeah, that's, that's kind of like how all that stuff started and why I just started wanting to kind of like go and like do that because it was, it was absolutely just, just like 
to to actually try to enjoy have some sort of enjoyment out of this shit again. Well, it comes across because it, obviously it's it's a record that we love. Gray is a, a massive fan of that record, and then a little bit after that is going to be the betting on death tapes at hospital. And those are very expansive. And so what was your approach to those? You said with man walks the earth, you're taking all this, you're editing it down with those. Did you feel a little more free to just go or how did you approach those, those tapes? That was really it. I felt, I felt kind of just free to go and also had like built up, you know, more shit in my studio in between that time got a bit better at the production too, knew, knew a little, was better, more savvy in the studio. And I just kind of just like let it all rip. I was just like, here we go. It's just like, and there's never a, a concrete idea of what I wanted to do. It's just like sonic candy for me. I'm just like, does this sound good or not? And if it sounds good, just keep going with it. And like, end it when it's when it ends that's it it's not there's no beginning or end just when you feel like it's the end end it if it's and there was just the, those just worked they're like extremely uh it's like suffocating dreadful slow like just like but there's so many small details in in, in the music that that i think that's just kind of what made those records what they were. And then I was okay with nothing really happening, quote unquote. Right. Like, just, yeah, yeah. There are many small details in suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that are the biggest details. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they just, those, those, those tapes just exist. That's yeah. what I love. It just, yeah. you don't, you just feel that this just exists. Yeah. I think that, that ended up, it's also ended up being, being comfortable enough with yourself and what you do to, to just, do do that, mm -hmm. you know. Like it doesn't have to be anything, or it, it is everything. It doesn't matter. It's just like there it is. It's right. it, there is the freedom in the format. Especially when I was doing it, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll send this stuff to Dominic, and then it can, you know, tapes are long, CDs are long. You know, it doesn't need to be a record. It doesn't need to be whatever. But if you know, it, it can fit that format as well. Yeah, no, it's it's perfect for that. And but now you just released what would be and is your big dance record, for lack of a better term, Heartstopper. So what made you decide? Well, you know what? I am gonna do the record that people have been waiting for for this long. Yeah. That was that was really it. That that's it's the record that should have come out in 2013, but never did. So so what what where did your brain go? All right, now's the time. Well, I've always been like super heavy into Chicago house stuff and early Detroit stuff, and I just got really heavy into listening to the old DJ mixes from from back in the day. All like Ron Hardy mixes, Derek May mixes from JBL, all all Farley mixes, um, and I just it's just like when you listen to those mixes, they're playing so many different styles of what ends up being house music because house music isn't like just like a dance, you know, it's like New Order mixed with like NOIA mixed with like a new like Ralphie Rosario track mixed with like an old disco track or like oral exciters or liquid liquid or something. It's the amalgamation of all that. And then I was just getting, I'm like, this is like still what 30 years later hearing this shit in this context is like the freshest shit. And it's what, and it, to me, it's like, you don't hear, no, there's like, you can count on like maybe two hands, how many, current DJs play in that style in this current scene. Cause it's just like, it's kind of lost. And even the originators who did that kind of stuff have moved on. There's maybe one or two guys who, who, who have kept the, the, the vision of that style, but a lot of them, that's what they did. They moved on, whatever they do is whatever they do. And, but like, it's kind of a lost art in a way. Um, and I just, you know, I just wanted to like, I always wanted to make like, that kind of record 
And it was just, the inspiration was there. So I just slowly, slowly started. I was just literally just fucking around in 2019. I was like, let me try to, and it was always like an experiment. Let me try to make a track that sounds like that. And it never sounds like that, but that's how it all starts. Literally, it was like Ableton and headphones. Let me do this. And then, okay, let me try this. Let me try this. I mean, it was a long process. I mean, it was like, what, three three, three plus years, almost four years till we saw this all happen. But, and there was a lot, I mean, you know, I learned probably the most, you know, making this record as well. Just from the, just from trial and error and, and trying things and yeah. actually honing in on your skill and, and equipment and stuff. Com completely. And then like, you know, being like hitting your head against the wall, being like, this isn't working. And then buying a new synth and then it works. Not saying that that's what you need to do, but in this case, like I got a DX100 and that's just like changed the game. I mean, it's like all over the, it, it was like the turning point actually when I got that, it's like all over the album. Um, so yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was it. I just got super, super like really inspired. Listen to all the old, old, nasty, old like Cause there was, there's so much energy and experimentation in that time when that music's come together and it's made it, you know, generally the stuff that I love from that era, it's all made in home studios, you know? Yeah. Like borders weren't as well defined. Yeah. And so like, sure. you know, people could be free to experiment right. in a different way. Exactly. It's like, you know, they're, they're, it was just called, it was just club music. It didn't yeah. matter. New order or Farley Jackmaster funk. It's all one and the same. They're club. It's club yeah. music. That's it. You know? And it's like new order. I mean, you know, obviously it comes from Joy Division. Like someone who's listening to order in Chicago might never even picked up Joy Division. But this right, right, you know, because it's just that was like in the dance music context of it. But uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's an incredible record, and and we we've keep saying we've we've mentioned them a couple times, and it it came out just specifically for for us. You know the 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 hospital fest that just got announced. We had been listening to just tons of Masana. Our ears were just like <laughs> yeah. shredded. And then your record came out. I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm, let's let's check out the new Ron record. It's you know I heard it's, it heard it's actually it's you know it's a beat record. Yeah, we, we didn't it out. think we could handle music at yeah, that time. Yeah, we're yeah, like, yeah. No. And then that came out. and It was like this perfect yeah. transition. And man, we've just have listened to so much. We've just, we can't recommend enough to everybody. But aesthetically, I love, like, I love this special edition packaging. Oh, like, yeah. Like limited to 60, but, but still the, the feeling of like, almost like fan art of flyers. Like, I think it really like encapsulates a, a feeling and a time. And I just absolutely love it. Yeah. That. Tell us about the special edition uh, and, and how you put that together and, and how that's going. I mean, you know, Hey, putting out records in 2023 is a struggle fun. for everybody. Late, yeah. Late, but, late, but sorry. tell us, how, tell us about the special edition of the record. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's official lies, official 200. Um, so I wanted to do, and it ended up being my record. So I was like, all right, I got to do something special for it. And yeah, I just like kind of, I mean, the artwork process is like kind of like a, a, a huge task. Let's just put it like that. I mean, even working on the normal edition, like the original idea just got scrapped after like three weeks of like having to go at it with an, another friend of mine, my friend Douglas, we were just like, this idea fucking sucks. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Yeah. We, like, we were just like hammering away at this one idea and like just sending visual references back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, it's got to look like this. We got to get it there. Got it. And it just like didn't fucking work. And then like literally like I'm sitting with other friends. I'm like, because especially for something like a house music LP, it's really thematically it's very hard to capture you know betting on death boom there it is <laughs> it's about something you know this house music record of course this is like there's a whole bunch of it's wrapped up in a whole bunch of different things it's about you know you know of course it's there's there's a whole naivety involved in the whole thing and getting back to the roots and you know there's some there, there's some, something of like a almost a teenage uh 
uh, aspect to some of it, you know, first love or heartbreak or, or also, you know, learning like, you know, again, early house music, you're learning like you're the, the machines. It's, it's just going back to the, to the, to the real essence, the, the, of it all. Um, so like finding a way, like I looked at all of like my favorite and the, you know, house music LPs and there's not so, so many LPs. I mean, you know, Mr. Fingers, Larry Heard, uh, Another Side, Fingers Inc. Like that's like the best cover for a house music record ever. And it's just, and it's just like the guys in the, in, in the group, but it's like the color, the font, everything together, how they look, the picture. It's just like, there's, I can't, it just, it's, there's not a better cover. And it's not saying anything, but it is. So capturing all of that, I think it worked for the original cover. The special edition was kind of just like, let's do something wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I had my ideas and it like kind of like, you know, they kind of just, it, 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 some on the insert, the insert has got like this crazy like subway thing with these guys, like all with guns and stuff like that, which is like really cool. Cause that's like goes with the subway shootout. Subway shootout. shootout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like the heart with the gun, that all works. And like, you know, the Trans Am thing, that's just like another, like, you know, it's kind of like just another like teenage fantasy type of thing. Um, but yeah. And then uh, I did just the, the eight inch lathe cut picture disc, you know, the, the just go going for the whole thing. But yeah, then I, I licensed these photos from this somewhat unknown New York street photographer, Matt Weber. He was nice enough to let me, you know, license these from him. And, you know, this is, you know, another, you know, another piece of it where it's like he had all these crazy images that are just like, you know, it's like really stark, primitive things that were you know, in the past, but extremely applicable to, to today. And I felt like, you know, that the, the kind of captures the record and also having some fun with it. God forbid I had a little fun doing, do, <laughs> doing, doing, doing the thing. I'm like, you know, like these images look dope. I'm going to put him, put them in there. So I, yeah, they have the postcards uh, in there from him. Um, but people should check out his work. Cause it's like killer. He, he was like a cab driver in the eighties and he just oh, wow. br brought his camera around with him. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. yeah. There's something very, I mean, yeah, it just, it, it, it encompasses all that. And like for me, one of the early times listening to it, in fact, I was actually picking up Steve at the airport at night. Yeah. It was about 11 at night and I was driving through downtown LA. I had it blasting the lights from the buildings, the just feeling the old LA, you know, and mm -hmm. you could, you could transfer that to New York. You transfer that to any city, Chicago, wherever Detroit, it just has that feeling where, oh yeah, I'm I'm in this now. It it really does bring that. Well, it's great, especially if you could drive to it. Then I think the the job is done. Then with it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a great it's a great record to drive to, great record to listen to. However, you do it, and and there's a phone number. So this Tara really <laughs> so so right before you got here, Tara did uh, call the phone number. Wow. Uh, uh -oh. I said, I've, been, I've been like, should I call the phone number? Mike's like, don't call the phone yes, number. You I, don't need to call the phone I, number. I think this is a great way to to wrap up because I've <laughs> always wondered because not only is there a phone number listed on certain yeah. things, there's a shirt, if I'm not mistaken, that is the right, phone number. Right, right, What is the phone number? When was it operational? Was it <laughs> operational? Tell us about that to, fin to finish off this incredible conversation. The phone number was operational through 2013. It was my personal cell phone number. <laughs> no. I have received calls on that number. It has not been my number for a long time. <laughs> well, currently it's nobody's <laughs> number. It is disconnected. So yeah. we did call it. So I can get it back then. If yeah, I yeah, yeah. We did call it. It just, wow. it just. My new phone number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but did you, you, you would put that out there and there is yeah. a precedent for that in the underground techno world. Correct. Sure. I mean, it just used to be the fax number for distributors and things like that. Or, you know, if you 
handing out a demo, even, you know, same thing for hardcore noise. You put your phone number on it. Yeah. It's your calling card. So there it is. Yeah. So, but it hasn't been operational since 2013. Definitely not. Well, it's available now. So maybe you need to grab that number up back again, but then you need to take it off because maybe you'll get some calls. So who knows? I have gotten some weird calls (laughs) from that. I was going to say, did you, did you have to change phone numbers because it became too much or was it more moving to Paris? No, it was like moving. Yeah. That was, that was really it. I couldn't keep keep the number. I want, I, 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 I did for as long as I could. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I couldn't do it anymore. That is hilarious. Well, I know we talked before we started recording. This will be coming out not this week, but next week. So I believe that puts you at in Detroit. Right. Uh, so is it, what do you have coming up live for people? I know you have Minneapolis, but that will be after right. this comes out. So Yeah, I'm just wrapping up this tour. So I'll be in Detroit playing uh, um, one of the after parties of the festival. Then... I will go and play one more gig stateside in New York with a hieroglyphic being at the Paragon venue. Then I will head back to Europe, play Trezor, and then a special live engagement the day after, which is going to be a pretty fun, strange Thing. I don't know what's going to happen at it actually. Well, and and these shows you've been doing, you're you're doing stuff similar to Heartstopper, or, or are you doing ambient DJ, stuff? Are you mixing? What what is it, what is it, the, it, what is the style? It's just yeah, I'm just out there DJing. I'm just like you know, just just you know, playing playing for the people in the clubs. That's really it. Yeah. But you heard it here. Ron Morelli plays for the people. That's right. For the people, baby. That's right. Well, Ron, this has been so much fun. So much fun catching up. So much fun hearing about your history. So, such a great, you know, path that you took. So, you know, different from paths that Tara and myself took. But it all, it all coalesced and, and, and mixed around in the 2010s via Dom, via hospital, and via a lot of this strange stuff where we all really met in this way that's I, I think so great and is yeah. has brought a lot of different people to different sounds and then everyone's branched off. It's just been a it's been a really cool thing and you were a big part of it, especially uh in the in the 2010. So this is really, really fun. Uh everyone go pick up Ron's new record. Thanks so much for joining us, Ron. This is great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You have been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 20 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to Noise.